This is Tom Fox, and welcome to the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. After having recorded, produced, hosted, and guested in over 5,000 podcasts, I decided it was time to have a podcast about what else? Podcasting. Over the series, I will visit with podcast hosts to learn about their love of podcasting, what they have been able to achieve through podcasting, and why you need to consider starting a podcast. This series will be fun, witty, chatty, the dash of joie de vivre for both entertainment and education. I hope you will join me as I explore the world of podcasting. This episode, I visit with Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, about the 2023 Podcasting for Business Report. If you have a podcast or are thinking about having a business podcast, this is a report is a must read. This podcast is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode and absolutely thrilled today to have my cohort in all things MCU, business podcast expert extraordinaire, and perhaps my favorite Canadian. Megan Doherty back uh, for a podcast, but this time we're interviewing Megan on her great work on the State of Business Podcasting Report 2023. This anchored, in many ways, the recent State of Business Podcasting Conference that Megan and her team organized. And I asked her if she would come on and give us sort of a high-level high view about the report, and I, of course, had some questions, and she graciously agreed to do so. So we're not going to talk too much MCU today, although maybe. Um, but Megan, first of all, welcome to the pod. So much. This is such a treat. And as much as I love talking about the MCU, I also love talking about data. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Megan, first of all, let's start off with how do you, and when I say you, I mean literally you, research and write this report? <laughs> I think the official term is that we brute force it. So uh, what we do to create this report is uh, on October 15th of every year, we look up a list of the top 100 business podcasts according to Apple Podcasts. We usually find this list from Chartable. Uh, and then so we list out every podcast and we have a spreadsheet that has, this year I think we did about 67 individual data points for each podcast. And then we simply go to every podcast website. We find them on Apple and on Spotify. We find their websites, their social media accounts, and we fill in every piece of data that we want to know about them. So we start from, you know, what would we like to know? What would be useful? as producers of company podcasts and people who talk about business podcasts. And then we try to get all of the information that we can from the outside looking in. I mean, sadly, we don't have insider access to the strategic thinking that went into these decisions, but we can see what appears on the outside. So we track as much of it as we can, compile it into a massive spreadsheet, and then spend a glorious two weeks coming through the data uh, to, to extrapolate the results and see what we can learn from it. So Megan, with that intro, Let's just sort of go through some of the high levels, starting with what did you see around age of age of podcasts and then release cadence and release days? 
Absolutely. So this was a, an interesting one. Uh, every year we know there's always a, 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 it always feels like a surprising number to me of podcasts that are very new. Uh, you know, it's like, how can a podcast be in the top 100 and only have three episodes, right? Like it, it seems up, but that's uh, really comes down to these must have been shows that were launched with a top 100 strategy. They were, you know, designed and promoted and there were enough people involved and enough, I guess, either paid promotion or, or you know, shared co-promoters to launch a show at the very top. Uh, and so there's a number of those every year. But once you get past that kind of burst of the people who have just launched, and most of those, you look back in three months, they're not going to be on the top 100 anymore. They're going to fade right out. It was it was a one-time strategy. Um, but for the shows that remain, um, most of them are longer than three years. And that really shows uh, something that you've been saying for years, Tom, is that consistency is one of the keys to podcasting, that you've got to be there every week or every other week uh, doing it over time to really see the results from it, because the vast majority of the shows in the top 100 are bigger than three years. Uh, and a lot of those have been on the top 100 for every single year, the four years that we've done this research, they're still there. Uh, so I think that's, that's the big takeaway in terms of the age of podcasts is you've got to really play the long game with your show. In terms of cadence and release days, it's pretty steady. Like when podcast releases really through the week, um, I don't think, and maybe you can speak to this with your experience because you've released on every day of the week. Uh, there's not a huge difference in terms of if it's on Monday or if it's on Friday. Um, but the biggest thing is that it needs to be regular and consistent and the same time every week as much as possible. So if you're going to do a weekly cadence, you want to be releasing every single week without fail. And many shows this year are doing even more. We're seeing a lot more um, twice a week, three times a week, and even daily shows uh, in, in the top list. What's, what's your experience been with releasing on different days of the week? Um, you know, Megan, I just, I'm stuck with consistency. Mm -hmm. And that to me, it really doesn't matter what day you release. I'm much more concerned that once you set that day, you stick to it. Mm -hmm. You know, as I say, come hell or high water. And that means if it's 9 p.m. and you don't have a podcast or 5 a.m. and you don't have an episode, you better get something out uh, because people are expecting that. And it's not that they will dislike you or think you're a bad person. They just won't listen to your podcast if you're not consistent. It's so, so true. So you, you won't be on Megan's top hundred list and no one wants that because that's what we all strive for. But it's, it's really just, you know, getting, uh, content out. And, and I know you guys, uh, uh, both one stone creative, but also for your clients, you advocate a strategy, which would, uh, allow for more content. Could you talk a little about that? Uh, can you give me a little more on uh, what uh, what you're referring to? Well, well, you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned at one point uh, uh, recording several different clips and maybe recutting those or taking a longer oh. episode and putting out more uh, dailies even, or maybe two or three days a week, but giving your audience more information or more times to consume the information or content you're creating. Yes, thank you for, for refreshing me on that. Um, to all those listening, we are recording on a Monday in the afternoon, <laughs> and I am ne not necessarily at my bright and shiniest. But yeah, so that's exactly it, Tom, uh, is if you are time crunched, as many business owners are, but you want to get adva take advantage of uh, an increased um, uh, release rate, because the more times you release in a week or in a month, the more traction that you're going to get and the faster that traction is going to build. But it's a lot of work to get one episode out a week. Uh, the idea of doing two, three, or four can be really, really intimidating. But if you either batch your content creation and in one recording session record content that can be used for multiple episodes or have segments within your episode that can be broken out and shared separately. Uh, and an example of that might be if you have a, uh, you know, uh, you, you have your accounting podcast and you talk about your, you interview 
uh, different accountant every week for, for different insights. Uh, you might also have a tech review segment uh, or a what's in the news of bookkeeping and accounting and, and compliance. And you can break that out into a separate release. It can be part of your main podcast, but you can also release it as a short episode. And that's the same amount of recording time, a little more backend work, but then you can be increasing your release frequency and getting more downloads and traction in that way. So there's, there's lots of ways. As soon as you start thinking of your recording as one step of the podcast process uh, and kind of as distinct from all the other parts of it, then you can just make little adjustments there to get more content that you can repurpose and release. Uh, let me turn back uh, to the report around branding. Mm -hmm. And here you look at color, uh, art, uh, whether the podcast host's name was in the podcast. And here, Megan, I really wanted to, to ask you, is this guidance that we need to follow or is it really information for our consumption or is it something different to have this type of information available to a podcaster this i think is it's it's more for interest than anything else because the most important thing especially podcasting as a business is that your podcast follows your brand uh you know because you you've got uh you've got your colors you've got your logos you've got your fonts presumably and you want that to be consistent across the different platforms you're creating content on the one i think that is um kind of interesting and can be taken away really is um, the use of a headshot because that has kind of been increasing year over year. There are more and more pictures of people in these arts and people do like listening to people. So I think that's one, uh, if, if you can handle the idea or if you can stand the thought of your face being uh, out there on your podcast, it's something to seriously consider. Uh, and otherwise, I think when you look at, let's say the colors of the art, it's not instructive or prescriptive. This is just kind of, this is what is out there and it's really interesting, uh, which is, which is why we looked at it. But uh, I think when it comes down to designing your podcast cover art, after it's consistent with your own brand, it should be visually interesting, ideally with a picture of a, a person. But if not, then a graphic, a logo type, like text only podcast cover arts are kind of becoming less and less common every year. Megan, in terms of uh, show structure, and here I'm going to include topics, um, was there anything in the numbers that surprised you? Is it consistent with prior years? Or do we really need to start rethinking both the topic and why we may be using a podcast? This was actually super interesting this year um, because uh, in the first year that we did the report, this was back in 2020, um, there was a lot of variety in the high-level show topics. There was kind of a broad spread. And then the two years in between, it really kind of narrowed down and there was less variety of topics. And this year, kind of the variety exploded. Like the, there was still the big ones. Personal finance is really big. Investing is really big. Entrepreneurship, leadership management. Um, but then in the kind of in the top 100, we saw a whole bunch uh, of just one-offs, you know, one or two or 3% uh, in these categories I'd never seen on the top 100% before, like SEO, uh, AI, of course, was a new one, home maintenance even. Uh, so I thought it was uh, just really interesting. I think it demonstrates that podcasting has really taken hold in new industries. Like obviously it's been big in tech for ages and an entrepreneurship for ages, but now there's home maintenance top 100 podcasts in business about the business of home maintenance uh, and agriculture. Uh, so I think it, it really shows that this is a marketing channel that's working for a lot of different businesses and I'm delighted to see it. Well, that really now, Megan, actually the business podcast blueprint, blueprint information <laughs> makes more sense to me with your explanation <laughs> of this explosion of categories. Could you maybe go through the the blueprints you see and how a podcaster or even a potential podcaster might think about that in terms of a business podcast. 
uh, with with absolute pleasure. Uh, the business podcast blueprints are something that we are so proud of at One Stone Creative. So we've been, of course, producing podcasts for years and years and years. And over the years of doing it, we've started to realize that for the podcasts for companies that are the most successful and that they do the best, they perform the best, and they're the most pleasant to work on, uh, they have a reason for existing, a really high level archetype for why this podcast exists and what's the role it plays in the business. And uh, there are we. Uh, there are five of them pretty much that we've looked at and we were able to uh, kind of identify them within the top 100. So really quickly, they are uh, a relationship building that shows that are mainly there to connect you with other people. There are thought leadership shows mainly there to get your IP or your company's IP out into the world. Audience engagement, connecting with an audience that you already have by whatever means. Uh, conversion, getting people from one step of a funnel to another and content. There are shows that exist just to create content and that is fine. Um, and uh, each of them kind of has a specific strategy behind it or a specific uh, way to optimize the show to get most of that benefit. And it serves as the high level decision filter for how your show should work. So if you've got, say, um, a relationship building podcast, well, the most important thing you're doing with your podcast is meeting other people. So most of your energy and resources and time is going to be spent on nurturing those relationships. You're going to have a beautiful guest booking workflow. You're going to um, make really great graphics that you make your guests feel amazing about having been on your show. You're probably not going to worry about promoting too much to strangers because you don't care so much because it's about the people that you're connecting through having conversations with them. So it's that kind of um, thinking that will help you make the most effective decisions for your podcast. And of course, as I said at the top, we don't know the strategic planning that went into the top 100 shows, but we were able to look at different things that they did and think about if I was producing this podcast, why would I have made this decision to present it in this way or to put it on a website in this way? And that's how we identified which of these shows that we thought belonged in each of these categories. Although I, in fairness, we certainly don't know for sure. Megan, the, um, can the podcast, I don't want to say evolve, but can you have multiple blueprints within one business podcast, or uh, if you're going to have a relationship building podcast, keep it relationship building. And if you want a thought leadership podcast, start a thought leadership podcast. You can definitely have elements of both. And there are metrics kind of within each of those categories that you can optimize for no matter what your high level type is. Um, but I found that when you try to do everything with a podcast, you end up doing nothing really well. Um, there are also ones that kind of mesh together a lot better than others. Um, and, the, you know, the example you gave kind of a relationship building and thought leadership, um, those are sometimes in a little bit of conflict with each other in terms of their main goal. Because if you want to be really nurturing a relationship with someone, um, part of that's going to be shining more of the spotlight on them and helping them share their expertise with your audience rather than um, it's, it's not really thought leadership. If you're not expressing your own ideas, at least as much as your guests, right? You're, that's uh, it's share. It's uh, taking the spotlight is thought leadership rather than sharing it, which would be more relationship building. Um, but as long as there's not a direct conflict like that, uh, then you can, you can certainly get benefits from all. And I mean, you're going to get little, like you're going to get all of this, over time uh, by, by podcasting, but by focusing and kind of making a decision, this is the main reason that we're podcasting. It's much easier to track whether or not you're being successful with it uh, and make kind of the decisions uh, that are otherwise rather agonizing in terms of your show. Should you have sponsors? How long should they be? How should we release? How should we repurpose? Uh, figuring out your blueprint and looking at it through that lens uh, kind of shortcuts that decision making really nicely. So one of the things I like to fantasize is that I am on this list and you're looking at my podcast for information, but it really leads to what if you want to create something completely different? And I'll once again, stick with you and I as an example. Um, we have a podcast on our, our joint love of the MCU, mm -hmm. not a business podcast at all. Um, how do you, 
communicate to a podcaster uh, who comes to, to you and says, you know, I have a, this business podcast, Megan, but I really like Star Wars. What do I do? Do you tell them they can do it? Do you say you can do it, but you need to communicate clearly to your audience what it is? Or is it something different? I think at least for, for most of the shows that we produce, they really are. This is a podcast for a specific business purpose, um, uh, rather than some, this, this is something that's going to blend a lot of my loves. Um, sometimes it, it can work really, really well. And there are industries that I think are a lot more forgiving of it than others. I think you've got a lot more wiggle room in terms of like how you can bring in different topics and themes and passions in, say, a general entrepreneurship or management or leadership than you might be able to, say, in finance or HR, where that could be a little bit uh, more challenging. So I think that comes down to the business purpose again. Uh, and, and often, Tom, I just use you as uh, an example when I need to say, hey, you know what, this is a great podcast idea, but it's not you know, your company podcast idea. Maybe this is the passion project that you do on the side <laughs> rather than uh, the one that you have to explain to the rest of the executive leadership team. So how do you, um, or what are you seeing in terms of the show formats and uh, maybe length and guests and, and uh, how you started and how you mm -hmm. end it, all of those things? Yeah, so still um, uh, interviews are pretty much king. Uh, and I think one of the reasons for that is one, uh, it, it's especially for an, a newer podcaster, there's a great dynamism for having two people in a conversation going two ways than it just being you and a mic or trying to moderate, moderate a panel of a whole bunch of different other people. So most podcasts that we looked at do have guests in some format or another, maybe not uh, all of every episode, but at least within segments or uh, or in, in alternating episode types. And that was something that actually uh, we saw a lot more of this year than we have in previous years is podcasts that have multiple release days per week, but different episode types, which I thought was really cool and really, really exciting. Because then you've got your interview podcast on Tuesdays, but you've got your solo on Fridays, uh, where you're kind of able to, then you really get, as you were saying, those two different goals. You've got your relationship building and your thought leadership in two different episode types under the same banner of one podcast. So that was really, really fascinating. And another thing that we saw a little bit more, uh, there were more co-hosted podcasts this year, where instead of having just one talent, uh, you had multiple hosts, and it was co-hosts who either just had a conversation or interviewed guests uh, together. And I thought that was kind of fun. And and I, I if I have to, I don't know, of course, the the reasons that all of these shows are are being produced this way, but I think it's more fun with someone often than just doing it alone. Podcasting can feel a little bit isolating. So I think when you've got a co-host that you can have a really good time with, it becomes something in your work you really look forward to because uh, it's time to hang out with a colleague as well as create some, some you know, business useful podcast uh, content. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think that just comes down to, again, a strategic decision. How do you want to be using the show? Uh, what information do you need to convey to your audience? And who are the people who can best help you do that? About length, that's something that um, I don't want to say surprised me because I've read enough of your reports to have seen this several years. It's so but consistent I'm, over time. <laughs> I'm pretty sacrosanct of trying to stay between 20 and 30 minutes on a business podcast. Mm -hmm. But what you found is that that may not be the hard and fast rule I thought it was, nor has it ever been, actually. Yeah, there's um, it, it's. Part of that is because of there, there's a type of podcaster that always shows up in the top 100, and I'm calling them the whales now. And we'll talk about this more when we get to YouTube, I'm sure. But these are, you know, the talk show type bros who are going to talk for three hours, three times a week about their podcast. They're skewing the averages. I think they're skewing the averages in a lot of ways. Um, because there are, uh, you know, when you look down at 
if, if I put all of them into one group and left them out of the data, uh, which I think I will be doing in an upcoming newsletter just for science, uh, we'll, I think, see a much shorter average runtime. Um, but it really is those big, long talk, talk show style shows that were designed originally for YouTube that are kind of making that difference, I think. Oh, I think you're muted. How about uh, some of the technical details, such as editing style, uh, over-editing, under-editing, uh, mm. pre-roll, either ads or um, hooks, and then uh, end rolls? Okay, can we talk about hooks first? Because uh, this was this was a really interesting one. One of the first major discoveries that we made in doing this report was that hooks right. were in. <laughs> and that, you know, you should have a little piece of the audio at the very top of the episode before anything else. And it's been declining year over year since then. And I can uh, officially say now that hooks are out. Uh, they've 71% uh, 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 of the shows no longer use a hook. Uh, and, and that is just such a big change over the last couple of years. So that's kind of, I think, the show format evolving. Uh, and I I think if I had to guess why that was, it's because short form video is becoming so much more like important in terms of promotion. So all of this content that would have been a hook is now a YouTube short or an Instagram reel. And it's still serving as the introduction to the podcast because someone's listening to it and they're like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to go listen. They don't need to hear it again once they get to the show. They've just heard it on YouTube. So now they, you can have 12 hooks promoting a single show and it's uh, going to work the same way as that single hook did initially. So that's my theory as to why hooks have become less important. Megan, there are uh, podcasts about podcast trailers there. And in podcast movement, I attended a session last summer where they actually reviewed podcast intros. And they seemed to say they wanted an intro which communicated what the podcast was about. Mm -hmm. And my con I was a little bit confused because if you're already listening to the podcast, you know what it's about. And that's why I thought the hook could be so powerful because you could actually put specific information about that episode mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to just saying, this is Tom Fox. Today I visit with Megan Doherty on our report. Um, any thoughts really one way or the other on, on whether your audience, whether your intro should be aimed at a new listener or your current audience? I think it should be a little bit of both. Um, I think an intro, I mean, it, it should always still be, be pretty short, you know, getting into the, the meat of the content quickly. But I think the kind of um, the, the intro style that's more popular now or the beginning of the show intro style um, is the host talking just with a music embed. Sometimes with a produced intro, you know, we've got your music, your tagline, and sometimes not. Sometimes it's just the host voice with music. And I think that allows... Um, hosts to convey a lot of information and a lot of context really quickly um, by being able to say, you know, when you opened up this episode uh, and you were able to say, oh, this is Megan Doherty, we're talking about the research, uh, it's going to be great. So someone who knew the podcast is not going to be frustrated by that amount of content because they need to know what the, this episode is about. But someone who is new is also going to understand, okay, this is, this is what I'm listening to. This is why I'm here. So I think it's just kind of an evolution of what people are expecting and where people are getting the initial context for an episode that they're deciding to listen to. Megan, uh, I was extraordinarily pleased to see that 66% of the top shows are in networks. Mm -hmm. They're not in my <laughs> I knew networks. you'd be pleased about that one. I was thinking about you while I was doing that, Dan, and I was like, oh, Tom's going to be happy with this one. <laughs> you know, like, like I said, they weren't in my networks, but they were in a <laughs> network. Um, so uh, maybe you could uh, give a few words about that and what these numbers tell you about the power of a network. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so uh, we we look at so when I talk about a network, we're talking about basically um, one company or umbrella that uh, uh, multiple shows are associated with. So we looked at a couple of different types of them. There are broadcast news networks, and these are your traditional news sources: CNBC, NPR. Um, they're you know companies that create news for a living. A lot of them create podcasts, very very popular podcasts. <laughs> then there are content networks, and this is something like Wondery, like Vi uh, like Vox. Uh, and their whole business is about creating content that people are going to listen to. And they create that, uh, uh, that's kind of, they create usually in a whole variety of different topics, but usually kind of with the same high level tone and style. It's like, you know, when you're listening to a maximum fun podcast, you're listening to a maximum fun podcast. Uh, and then there are topical networks like yours, Tom, which make up the biggest percentage of those in networks. And those are, are um, networks that are devoted to a single topic or main high level theme. Uh, yours being kind of, uh, 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 business and compliance law. Uh, but you can also, there's the horse uh, radio network, and then there are financial networks, and there are uh, women of color podcasting networks. So these are um, shows, the, the networks may or not, may not produce all of the shows in their network, but they are affiliated around a singular topic or theme. And I think one of the reasons this is becoming more and more popular is it's just so much easier to grow with others than it is by yourself. And I'm sure you've noticed this, and you can probably even speak to this much better than I can. But when you are affiliated with a lot of other pod podcasters and you can cross promote, uh, you can share audience. And uh, not just on like the RSS feeds, but also on social via email, uh, you really can get a lot more people who are pre-validated as being interested in your topic or in this type of content, uh, interested in your own work. Uh, let's turn to um, types of sponsorship and types mm -hmm. of asset provided and even placement of ads. What Anything really new here uh, or are things that really intrigued you? Uh, well, this was, um, uh, we, we spent a lot more time with the sponsors and the sponsor content this year, especially of the placement of ads within an episode. Um, because sponsors, I mean, and I'm sure you know, it's such a love hate thing with sponsors, right? You know, you, as a podcaster, you love them because they support the show and the work. And as someone who's creating content for an audience, you're like, everyone's going to hate this. <laughs> Got to be careful of where we're putting it. So I thought it was really interesting to look at exactly where an episode it was most popular for people to have their ads. And most of the show's stuck with just kind of one or two placements and most of those were within the main body so kind of the middle of the show uh, as kind of being the place that is either I guess perceived to be the least annoying or the least likely for someone to think oh, it's not worth listening to the end if I have to listen to this ad for whoever um, so I, I think that is is the, the most important thing to consider with your sponsor ads and uh, these are, are whether they're host reads or whether they're put in dynamically through a marketplace uh, it's it's where can I put this that's going to have the least impact on my listen through rate? Because uh, if you do, there are very few um, kind of podcasts right before the end, because uh, it's really easy when there's only five minutes left of a podcast to be like, oh, if I have to listen to that, I'll just go to the next podcast rather than wait the or skip four times. Like, it's just better to make sure that there's you either end on a real cliffhanger before your ad break uh, or you make sure that there's enough content afterwards to make it interesting for people to continue to listen. How about pre-roll? Post-roll or mid-roll? Uh, Pre-roll, post-roll, mid-roll, always pretty uh, pretty popular. And these, when I'm talking about like um, uh, dynamic ads, pre-roll and post-rolls are going to be so easy to add. Almost every podcast player or podcast uh, host will let you just add little markers to have your ads put in. Um, Pre-rolls we found for the most part was interesting. Um, many more people used their pre-roll spots to talk about their own content. Uh, than to promote kind of something that seemed random compared to the, the topic. That changed a little bit when you got to um, dynamically inserted mid-rolls where you just hear kind of ads for 
okay, it's like a radio ad. It's got music has been produced separately. It's in there. But the pre-rolls and the post-rolls were very much, um, and not exclusively, but very much about, uh, I've got this course coming up, or I'm going to be speaking at this event, or uh, I've got this book, you should get it. Um, I think that's a great use of those spaces is really talking about the things that people who are listening to your podcast are going to be interested in because it's you and you're doing it. And that's great. Um, rather than having it just kind of be a marketplace ad popped in there. Megan, one of the things I found interesting about the podcasting for business conference is that there still are, uh, if not a debate, there are different ways to present the non audio information in your podcast. And I mean, show notes, um, titles and other information. Mm -hmm. At the conference, there was at least one speaker who basically said a sentence, and that's it. Uh, there were others who said, no, no, it's SEO, mm -hmm. and you need to have so many words of text, um, and then have your audio player, and then you have words of text after that, mm -hmm. perhaps highlights, show notes with links to the guest resources their LinkedIn page or other mm -hmm. resources that um, the audience that would direct the audience to them. Uh, really anything, did you get any sense of how these top hundred shows do it? Or is it really, as we learned in the conference, just a variety of different ways to do it? Uh, this is one where, um, this is what one of the things that we looked at the most closely when we were trying to figure out which of the business podcast blueprints the shows seem to be using. Because how you present um, the different assets that go along with the podcast is a strategic decision that's directly related to your main goals for the podcast. If you've got a, a content show or an audience-based show, um, that you know the main goal is to connect with your audience and to uh, uh, create content that can be used, you're going to really invest in SEO because that makes it easier for your audience to find and consume the content. They'll have a lot of multimedia to go through on your website. Uh, and for content, it's is your SEO, it's your search, it's interlinking, uh, it's making, it's, you know, connecting with others through backlinks and that kind of thing. Those are really solid use cases for podcasts. And it really is warranted if those are your business goals, engaging your audience, creating content uh, to invest the time to make sure that those assets are going to be looking really, really good in the different ways that they're appearing. Now, on the other hand, relationship building show, well, you've got the emails that you have with the guest, you've got the audio that you're sharing, you've got the social media assets you're creating you don't need a whole lot of show notes. That's not the point. So I think it comes down to, you know, what's the goal of your podcast? And that's going to inform the decisions about where you put your time and energy and resources in terms of the assets that you create. Um, and I, I know the presentation you're talking about. Um, I, I don't think he was wrong. And if you look at the data from uh, even a year or two ago, um, a huge number, like there were way, way more podcasts that only had a sentence or two uh, as their show notes. Show notes have gotten longer in the last year. I think AI has something to do with that. It's gotten easier for people to create more, uh, more content. Um, but ultimately I think it's, um, does it, does a lot of content say graphics and video and writing, does that serve the goal of your podcast or is it superfluous to what you actually need it to do for you? Well, if that's the question we need to be asking ourselves, does it serve the podcast? How do we determine whether it does or doesn't, or is it up to the individual podcast host or producer to make that determination for his, his or her audience? Uh, I think for, for me, at least the shows that I work with for the most part, it comes down to the business needs. Um, it's a totally different ballgame when you're, you're creating a podcast as a business, like to function as a business in and of itself. And it's another ballgame again, when you're doing it just because you love it and because you want have a message to get out there. It's different if you've got, you know, 
revenue or social media or other KPIs that need to be met. So I think, um, uh, you know, if you're podcasting for your business, it's probably going to lean more to um, what is going to be the most effective way to optimize the show for our specific business goals. Uh, whereas if you are doing it for more for passion or to start a new business, you've got a lot more flexibility in what you can do and you can try things out and you can do them just because this is the part of it that you really enjoy. Uh, so I think that that's, that's kind of where it comes down to. And you know me, I've got no patience for passion. So I, I work with the business podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you save that for your friends and family. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to now turn to social media and I'd like to start with something that I think stunned you and I when we first heard it last summer, which was essentially that YouTube was now the biggest distribution mm -hmm. platform for podcasting and that uh, even if you weren't doing a live show or a video show, you needed to be on YouTube. So I wanted to maybe start with what you dis discovered around the YouTube as a distribution platform and then go through, through maybe some of the other social media posting platforms and talk about how they can or should be used. Yeah. So YouTube was the big one. And I think uh, like the, the podcasting community, as you say, was rocked uh, last summer when that, that survey came out and that data was released. And I was baffled by it when I heard it because it was completely not reflected in my reality or the reality of our clients at all or most of the people I talked to even uh, this YouTube was such a, a small portion of overall views and downloads that it, it was barely worth putting it up there. Um, but st this data was out there by a really reputable organization, right? So there has to be something to it. And as we were doing the report, I was really thinking about this. So we added a new category of data to look at this year. And it was, is it a video first show? And that is, it was the show designed to be seen as much or more than it was designed to be heard. And there was a big chunk, and I, I mentioned them earlier, They're called, I call them the whales. And they are the talk show type podcast. And you can picture who I'm talking about. Sure, you're going to have um, four guys, many of them bald, in t-shirts around a conference table, talking for hours. Uh, and they're really popular. It's a style of show that does really, really well. A lot of people really, really like it. Uh, and they have massive YouTube audiences. We're talking millions of subscribers, millions of viewing of like watching hours. Uh, and they are just pulling the data, I think, in the direction of YouTube in a way that a smaller or an indie or a small company podcaster isn't going to be able to replicate. Um, and I don't think that's a hard and fast rule, but I do think it is the reason that because they're, they're still called podcasts. They've got RSS feeds, they have big audiences elsewhere, but they're video first shows. Uh, and I think they're just the ones that are, are so big, they are altering the data a little bit. So that's kind of my, my main thought on the YouTube. And I, I will still say, um, whether you're that style of podcast or not, or you want to be that style of podcast or not, uh, there are people and there are more of them every year, especially now that pod YouTube is trying to become a little more podcaster friendly, that do listen, use YouTube as their main audio platform. Uh, and so wherever someone is already listening to their music, it's going to be much easier for them to add podcasts to their playlist than to get a whole other app. So I think uh, it is best practice to have your episodes up there, but I wouldn't feel too bad. If it's not representing most of your, <laughs> most of your downloads. Uh, what about some of the other platforms that uh, we have, you've looked at before and certainly I utilize, obviously mm -hmm. uh, the company formerly known as Twitter can we, about, um, can we talk about that for a little bit? Because I have had this uh, like chip on my shoulder since last year. <laughs> you bet. Because, uh, last year on October 15th, we pulled our research. We started do we pulled our number, our list. We started doing the research, spending lots of time on it. And then days, I think it was days before we released the report, somebody bought Twitter 
and all of my data became instantly obsolete <laughs> because everything started changing. Uh, and so I've, I've just been holding a grudge about that for quite some time. But it was really interesting to look at it this year. So uh, the, the company formerly known as Twitter, currently known as X, um, has really had, uh, which will surprise no one, a bit of a fall from the grace of public opinion. Um, and I know there are still communities that use it and have a great time on it, and it, it works really, really well for, but there is a brand safety issue that a lot of people are now more concerned with. And you can see that in the number of the top 100 shows using Twitter or X. Um, so it went from 99% with Twitter accounts down to 87. And of that 87%, uh, 30 30 additional percent have abandoned it just in the last couple of months. Um, so I think there is a bit of an exodus happening and it's going to reform under however it does. Uh, and I think it's very much a, a, your mileage may vary. And the, like if there are communities with on, within Twitter that are still perfectly nice places to be, uh, there's just more and more parts of it. I think that aren't. <laughs> How about Instagram? Because this is really not a, a tool or a platform <laughs> I've, made good use of at all or really know anything about? Yeah. So Instagram and uh, I'd kind of add Facebook uh, and even, you know, Pinterest and TikTok to this a little bit. We're all kind of really, really interesting just in that in previous years, we saw a pretty broad spread. There, there, most of the top 100 were using most of the platforms fairly regularly. Say so every platform once a week was kind of the standard uh, result that we saw. This year it's changed a little bit. People are going narrower. Every single one of the social platforms, including Instagram, had slightly fewer um, of the top 100 shows on it. But the amount of posting on each of them has gone up. So I think people are starting, starting to narrow their focus a little bit in terms of social media and using the platforms that they are using more. So we saw like on Instagram, uh, went down a little in terms of the daily users like, like all of the other ones did. Um, uh, I think it was from 94 down to 78, so a fairly significant drop. Um, but the amount of times that people were posting went up huge. There's only a, less than 5% were only posting every week. Multiple per week is up to almost 14%, and then daily and multiple daily have also just like exploded. So I think um, kind of my takeaway from from the data is pick one or two socials and go on them really hard rather than just kind of dividing your efforts on the ones uh, that are going to be less of uh, less interest or where your audience isn't spending their time. Megan, as we move towards the end of uh, this podcast, I've heard a couple of consistent themes from you uh, throughout this uh, episode. And the biggest has been determine the business purpose for your podcast and let your strategy flow from the business purpose. If I've heard that correctly, um, how would you counsel a potential business on uh, starting uh, what their, uh, how to determine what their business strategy is, and then some of the key tools you would see. Definitely. So, I mean, I, I like to, the, the first question for, I think most companies shouldn't be, how should my podcast work for my business? It should be, should I have a podcast? Um, because not every business necessarily needs one. It's not always the fastest path to the most important business needs. A podcast will help almost every business eventually, but if there are, say, bandwidth or time or staffing or money issues, it may not be the best decision for right now. So the first thing is looking at, you know, what does your business really need? What would be a great outcome for the next six to 12 to 18 months? You know, not, I'm going to say the, the medium time frame. Uh, is it new business? Is it more attention? Is it better SEO? Uh, is it more relationships? If it's one of the things that podcasting can really help with, it's a great time to start a podcast. Um, but I think it's best to start with, you know, what are the actual business goals and then see, will a podcast help me achieve these 
rather than I would like to have a podcast. How can I hammer it into my business no matter what else is going on? And uh, I mean, there, there are times you can do things differently. And especially if you are like just really passionate about podcasting and you are the boss. Uh, you can just have one. But if you, uh, uh, you know, say are a marketing manager or, um, you know, you are really concerned about making sure they hit your KPIs, start with the business goals, see if a podcast will work for them. Uh, and then kind of within the podcast, really looking at um, what are the elements of podcasting that are going to be the most meaningful for my business? Is it making relationships? Is it having more content? Is it enhancing my sales funnels? Is it having great case studies that people can listen to? Like what's going to make the meaningful difference uh, for me, my clients, my team, uh, and then optimizing a show to fit those goals. I find that, you know, for the most shows that I work with, most of my clients are not on the top 100 um, because their businesses don't need a top 100 podcast. They need relationship driving podcasts and need content generation podcasts. Uh, so it really comes down to, you know, what, who needs what information from you and what is the best way to get it to them? Megan, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, on One Stone Creative or the report, what would be the best place or places for them to go? Uh, they should go to the uh, brand and spanking new podcastingforbusiness.com, uh, where you'll find all the information about uh, our production. Uh, you can get a copy of the report. It is free. Uh, we just uh, require your email address, no firstborn, nothing like that. Uh, but you can get the data and all of our analysis. It is all there for you to take a look at, as well as a whole bunch of other resources uh, and things that we'd be happy to help you with. And uh, also plenty of contact forms that go directly to my inbox. I would love to hear from you. Well, Megan, thanks again. Thanks for doing this. and. Uh... I can't wait till next year. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tom. Always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, anytime you want to talk to Ada, you know I'm here. This is Tom Fox again. I hope right. you've enjoyed this episode of Fox on Podcasting. This report by Megan on podcasting for business in 2023 is one of the best reports you can get if you are a business podcaster. We've linked to it in the show notes. So check out the report and check out Megan's company, One Stone Creative. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. Fox on Podcasting, which I admit is very meta, is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. <laughs>